Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. As longtime listeners of our show know, each and every Sunday morning, we discuss the weekly Torah portion that has been read in Jewish congregations on Saturday uh, prior to our show. This week, in synagogues throughout North America and the world, uh, Jewish congregations have been reading the parasha entitled Vayigash, uh, which my guest and I are going to discuss the meaning of that word. It is found in Genesis 44, beginning with verse 18, and continues through Genesis 47, verse 27. Let me offer to you an overview of the portion. Judah, the son of Jacob, approaches Joseph to plead for the release of Benjamin, the youngest son of Jacob and Rachel, offering himself as a slave to the Egyptian ruler in Benjamin's place. Upon witnessing his brother's loyalty to one another, Joseph reveals his identity to them, saying, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? The two brothers are overcome by shame and remorse, but Joseph comforts them. It was not you who sent me there, the Torah writes, but God. It has all been ordained from above to save us, then the entire region from famine. The brothers rush back to Canaan with the news that Joseph is alive. Jacob, now elderly, comes to Egypt with his sons and their families. The Torah text tells us that there were 70 in all, and is reunited with his beloved son after 22 years. On his way to Egypt, he receives the divine promise, Fear not to go down to Egypt, for I will make thee a great nation. I will go down with you into Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again. Joseph's family resides in Goshen, and Joseph gathers the wealth of Egypt by selling food and seed during the famine. As the Israelites settle in the fertile country of Goshen. The children of Israel prosper in their Egyptian exile. With me this morning to discuss this week's parasha is Rabbi Jack Luxembourg, Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Beth Ami. He served that congregation for 35 years, beginning in 1981 as the congregation's first full-time rabbi. Rabbi Luxembourg is active in the Washington, D.C. area community, having served on the executive committees of the Jewish Community Council, the Jewish Social Service Agency, the Mid-Atlantic region of the Central Conference of American Rabbis. 
He was the founder and vice president of the suburban Maryland chapter of the American Jewish Congress. And in his spare time, he worked with the American Jewish Congress and the state of Israel and is a founding member of the Association of Reform Zionists in America. Rabbi Luxembourg, it is a pleasure to welcome you to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the introduction. As I think it's Lyndon Johnson once said when he was lavishly introduced, uh, his, uh, his father would have appreciated it and his mother would have believed it. So, <laughs> well, so thank you very much. Well, all know you um, are appreciative of all the work you've done for both the Jewish community here and in Israel and for the greater community that you served in the Washington, D.C., Maryland area. Um, but we will move on from all your great gifts to the gift of Torah. And I know that you wanted to begin right at the beginning with uh, how the Torah text in Hebrew introduces the story. As you, well, as you mentioned, uh, Rabbi Garten, the first, the very first word of the Torah portion uh, gives it its name. We call this portion Vayigash, and that is the very first word. The Hebrew begins Vayigash love Yehuda, meaning that Judah approached, and this uh, on the surface, uh, this is descriptive of how Judah approaches uh, Joseph, who is still. Uh, incognito in his uh, persona as the vizier of uh, to Pharaoh. Uh, power, as far as Judah knows, he is at this point uh, a powerful uh, Egyptian uh, official. And um, it's interest. This word is interesting because it appears only a few times in uh, all of Scripture. And it's interesting that it, it when, where it does appear, it appears with three and three aspects. Uh, in the book Second uh, Samuel, the word vayigash means to approach to do battle. In the book of Joshua, the word vayigash is used to uh, to approach a person for the purpose of conciliation. And in First Kings, the word appears. Vayigash, to approach for the purpose to pray. And the Midrash says that these three, to approach to do battle, to conciliate, or to pray, are in fact related. And it makes an interesting observation because it's the Midrash says, because people usually um, approach a, 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 a person for any one of these three. So it was. For Judah, says the Midrash, as he approached Joseph, uh, this figure, uh, this powerful Egyptian, not knowing that is still, in fact, his brother Joseph, Judah is prepared either to do battle for the possibility of conciliation. And I will find it interesting uh, for this purpose uh, to pray, which I think means, in this case, not so much uh, a prayerful spiritual experience, but to make a deep and profound uh, connection. Uh, and Judah that. was prepared for all three, but not knowing quite yet what he would experience until he's delivered this eloquent message. Because from the word Vayigash, we get the uh, 
the speech that Judah gives um, to this person who is Joseph, but still in disguise. Um, but he's prepared for all three possibilities uh, and three possible responses to uh, his plea. So let me remind our listeners, uh, before we expand upon this, that Judah, who is the eldest son, was uh, offered the opportunity earlier in the Joseph epic to stop the sale of Joseph to the Heshemites. Um, And he was quite ambivalent about that and did not exercise the authority that usually comes with being the firstborn. In fact, um, he was seen as the compromiser uh, in Genesis 37. He says, let us sell him and not do away with him ourselves. Um, Because the other brothers had certainly indicated a desire out of their jealousy to kill Joseph. So in many ways, Judah is the one who sets this entire story in motion. And now he is confronting um, both the three aspects of um, approaching that you indicated, but in some way, I guess he's also um, approaching himself. He's confronting himself. Um, and begins to uh, have the understanding of what his life has meant. Do we find any of that uh, indicated in the Midrash as well? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, if, we were, if our readers are following in the text and they do look at Judah's um, plea, uh, that would be uh, starting uh, from uh, Genesis 44, 18, uh, through uh, <clears throat> the end of the chapter, through verse 34, uh, they see how uh, uh, Judah reflects, uh, I think you're correct, on his own role and takes on uh, the responsibility uh, for the situation uh, that he's in uh, and which he, as you point out, in part created uh, in regards to the uh, this this uh, unfold these unfolding events rela- related to to Benjamin and of course the, they are all against the backdrop of the, the betrayal uh, the brothers betrayal of Joseph earlier on as you noted and um, there is a Hasidic teaching that says the when it says by Igashe love Yehuda that Judah approach uh, as the uh, Hasidus often does, it looks at it as uh, from a personal, spiritual point of view. And it says that really when Judah approached means they ask, who did Judah approach? The answer is he approached himself. In other words, that in this process, uh, he has become more aware of his own best self. And, of course, that means, I think, in, in becoming um uh, self-aware always means uh, becoming uh, cognizant of not only of one's strengths, but also of one's failings. And here, having uh, done so, and now being in tune with his own best self, only now is he able to make this very eloquent plea, because uh, f- speaking from his own best self, he is able now to reach out to the person in front of him, uh, the Egyptian official, who unbeknownst to him yet is his brother Joseph, 
and touch Joseph's best self. And when the best self of one touches the best self of the other, then we get this, be this beautiful moment of uh, self-revelation uh, and reconciliation that is about to occur in the beginning of the very next chapter. It, it, it always marvels me, and I hope um, it continues to marvel our listeners, that Jewish tradition had the uh, opportunity in looking at this Hebrew text and seeing the simple three Hebrew words, Vayigash Elav Yehuda, Judah went up to him, and they could have read it in the very uh, literal manner and simply understood that Joseph, now the vizier of Egypt, was on some sort of throne, and that he uh, approached him as a vassal or somebody in a uh, uh, position um, of lower status, but our tradition read this in a very different way. Um, it wanted to see a deeper meaning as expressed in this term, as you've eloquently taught us, that only appears three times in the Hebrew text. And in seeing that it was not a uh, commonly used term, it felt that the Torah wanted to teach us more about itself. Wonderful. Um, a real insight into how the Torah and Jewish tradition intersect in finding greater meaning. I know that we could spend more time uh, on Vayigash and the nature of revelation and coming forward, but perhaps we can now turn our attention to chapter 45 which begins with um, Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone with withdraw from me? <laughs> there is no one else about when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. His sobs were so loud that the Egyptians could hear, and so the news reached Pharaoh's uh, palace. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still well? My brother, his brothers could not answer him. Some, so, so dumbfounded were they on account of him. Uh, listeners, you'll have to excuse my uh, Hanukkah puppy here who has uh, yet to learn when it's appropriate to uh, bark and not bark. Rabbi Luxembourg, shall we move <laughs> from my puppy to this interesting uh, experience of uh, Joseph revealing himself. Well, I, I always find this uh, this this paragraph, uh, these verses of, of, of chapter forty-five, uh, one through uh, seven, and then on to Joseph's explanation all the way through verse fifteen, is 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 tremendously emotional and tremendously moving. When it says that that Joseph could no longer contain himself, it, it's it, my image is that that he could no longer contain his genuine self within the disguise uh, of the Egyptian uh, uh, official. The real Joseph had to burst forth, and uh, and, and and I. Uh, you'll, you'll please, you'll, you'll, uh, your 
your uh, listeners will please forgive me, but it, I, I always, my image, my visual image is Dr. Bruce Banner about to turn into the Hulk. You know, there's this one, this is this great powerful person uh, contained in, in the disguise of the Egyptian official. And Joseph is about to burst forth, the genuine Joseph. He sends everybody away. And, and, and he reveals himself to his brothers in, in the most, uh, powerful way. He, he, he says, uh, uh, I need your faith. He says, I am Joseph, uh, uh, your brother. And by the way, there's a beautiful story, Rabbi, that when Pope John the 23rd, uh, received, uh, a delegation of international Jewish leaders, uh, he identified himself with these very words of Torah. He said to them, I am Joseph, your brother, because the Pope John 20, the 23rd's given name was in fact Joseph. And you can imagine uh, that a delegate of, uh, of international Jewish leaders hearing these words of Torah, the, this, uh, uh, this mode of identification coming from uh, Pope John the 23rd, resonated on so many different historical and, and, and spiritual levels uh, and reflects so much about the, the, the personage and the character and the spirituality uh, of, of Pope John the 23rd and, and his uh, sense of relatedness. I think you're right that this image of, uh, as the text calls Joseph the vizier, revealing mm-hmm. himself, um, taking off his costume to reveal the totality of himself uh, certainly follows with the uh, interpretation of Vayigash. Mm-hmm. The uh, coming to learn what it is about oneself um, in this Torah portion, the revelation in a sense of what this Torah portion offers to the reader uh, about coming to confront one's past. Well, I think that there's something very important here also um, in, in, in what Joseph, uh, as you pointed out earlier, what Joseph uh, says to, to his brothers, um, he casts the whole series, the sequence of events uh, they're all their history, as, as troublesome and, and and disturbing as it is. He casts it in, uh, again against the background of of the larger uh, uh, unfolding uh, of of the Jew of the Jewish historical narrative. Uh, God sent me ahead of you. There was uh, there there was purpose. He he decided. He, Joseph makes a, a profound decision not to look backward. But rather to, uh, at what had happened, but rather to look forward as to what uh, the possibilities that this reconciliation uh, offers. And I think that it's something instructive to all of us, especially in these uh, challenging times in which we live uh, socially, politically, the health issues that both our countries are, are confronting, um, that one of the ways to come together uh, is, is, is not to focus primarily on the past, but rather to look forward together to envision a, a, a shared future, which allows us, uh, to move forward and to find the found, the basis 
for reconciliation uh, that does not deny but rather heals uh, whatever hurts uh, have transpired amongst peoples and communities. I mean, it's a wonderful insight, and the text gives us um, the hint of this. Um, as you've suggested, when um, Joseph reveals himself and says, um, look, you are only part and parcel of the world. You don't control everything. The text says that it's ordained from above, but we all recognize that as much as human beings, we like to control all events, there's so much like the pandemic that we're unable to control. And our best response to it is to um, accept what it is and to deal with the realities of it, um, which is what many people have chosen to do. And of course, some people have chosen to um, ignore the great possibilities of moving forward in safety. Um, so Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, um, and he seems to uh, do it with great skill and with uh, great insight. So both Joseph and Judah um, have um, expressed great insight about the passage of time, what's transpired during these 22 years. The entire epic has given us some insight into what's happened to Joseph with the variety of stories, but perhaps you can remind our listeners of some of the episodes that Judah has experienced since he um, sold his brother that might have served to give him some insight into his own behaviors. Well, we, we uh, I, I trust you're referring to the uh, episode of Judah and Tamar, uh, that uh, he has longing for a, a particular uh, woman who he uh, deals with in, in an un, an unfair manner, uh, who has that the is strength. exactly the story I was referring to. Not not the story you're referring to. Well, it, the, is. You know, it is. No, no, no. It's well, exactly the story. Well, the, the the beautiful thing about Tamar, of course, is that she's such a strong and powerful female personality uh, character in Torah text. Uh, that she confronts Judah with with his uh, uh, on his uh, double his, his, the double standard he applies uh, his self righteousness and uh, perhaps this is a, a key moment in, in his uh, uh, process of coming to grips with who who he is and who he has been and and she in a way um, calls him out and shames him. In, into uh, a recognition uh, of the fact that he has been less than, than a virtuous uh, individual and uh, now and prompts him to the type of personal and spiritual moral evolution that leads him to, uh, to the moment that when he stands before Joseph, he can call on, on those insights uh, and those new understandings that Tamar prompted so that he can be, in fact, as we said earlier, his best self in reaching out to uh, the best self of the person who is 
to whom he is making his plea. I also think it, when it's, we when we you know you're reminding me of the episode of Judah and Tamar, which uh, I encourage our listeners to um, read for themselves. But I'm also reminded of how the episode of Joseph and Potiphar's wife stands as uh, in opposition to how Judah dealt with a. Uh, situation of sexuality in this uh, long story. Um, And Joseph um, is perhaps also um, learning through his interactions um, in the circumstances about himself, uh, because that is what leads him to um, be imprisoned and uh, in prison teaches him that perhaps he has come to Egypt for a particular purpose. Um, And so we have these two episodes um, which have significant impact on the brothers and that um, through the word Vayigash um, lead us to this moment of revelation, of Joseph revealing himself and um, and Judah coming in a way to his brother that we would have never expected uh, from previous experiences. Um, wonderful insights. Thank you. Um, and I hope our listeners will take the opportunity to look up the story of Judah and Tamar and remind themselves of the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Um, in the time that's left to us, Rabbi, is there something that you'd like to um, conclude with, with regard to that which we've spoken about, or with regard to Jacob? Well, I, I, I would just t- touch on Jacob for a moment, uh, and, and I, I think that if our, our listeners uh, uh, explore the text of this Torah portion, uh, they would find equally eloquent, though uh, presented very, very simply in terms of uh, uh, of the Torah's te- text, uh, how jo- uh, Jacob receives this news that his son Joseph is is still alive, uh, and we can imagine uh, the, the 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 poignancy and the uh, emotional impact of of receiving such news. If in, in fact the Jacob is portrayed uh, initially as being hesitant to accept uh, this news as a truth. Uh, and if you read the text carefully, one of the reasons he's reluctant, according to uh, commentators, is uh, is, the, is revealed in in the in the text uh, because it, the words that jo- Jacob uses sort of implies that he never really bought the story about what happened to Joseph to begin with. That he is, he is, he questions the honesty of his sons regarding Joseph's uh, demise or parent demise. And now he's equally uh, hesitant to accept the truth of this revelation that Joseph is in fact alive. And if in fact he is alive, it does put lie to the initial story uh, that uh, Jacob was told that Joseph, you know, uh, had been devoured by some wild beast. And that's why he hadn't returned with the brothers uh, from the fields those 22 years uh, earlier. 
and 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 it was interesting is uh, it leaves us open to speculate about uh, uh, the consequence the consequences within the family uh, about uh, about these um, how the brothers have played with the truth and how Jacob feels uh, about that. But I'd also note just for our, our listeners that this uh, Torah portion also contains the last uh, vision, the last uh, ex- uh, commun- communion between God and Jacob. Uh, so I don't think we're going to have time to continue. Next year. Next year. <laughs> uh, but it's also fascinating, um, Jacob the deceiver, um, who has been deceived, and all of these stories of Genesis begin to come together and reveal themselves uh, to come to next week's portion, which is the last portion of Genesis, before Exodus takes us in a very different way. I want to thank my guest, Rabbi Jack Luxenberg, uh, Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Beth Ami in Rockville, Maryland. Um, you can find our recording, our conversation this morning on iTunes or on the chri.ca website for Jewish faith and Jewish facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you a good day, Merry Christmas, and Shalom. Shalom.